welcome to the uh, second in our podcast series about how to effectively impact and to drive uh, demand for early infant immunization um, from a study that we conducted in Nigeria, Uganda, and uh, Guinea. Uh, my name is Sunny Sharma. Uh, I lead our global health practice uh, based in the UK. I'm joined here by my two colleagues. Over to you. My name is Belinda Lati. I'm Associate Director of Research and I work very closely with Sunny in the Global Health Team. And I'm Marcos Fernandez, Associate Director um, in the Global Health Team as well. Um, I live in the UK. Thank you very much, Bella Marcos. So for our listeners, we did mention uh, in the first podcast that we were introducing uh, the reason why we're putting this series is that a lot of the previous research that we'd seen in how to drive early infant immunization had a lot of focus placed on the mother of the child. Um, and what we learned fairly early on when beginning in this uh, project is that if we're really going to improve demand for immunization and make it sustainable over time, we need to take into consideration wider community, uh, the wider family and other influences uh, that come into this. Uh, Belle, uh, w w what's your opinion on this? How did we evolve to get to this point? Yeah, I think we even mentioned it in the in the first episode in this podcast series, um, but how it it was so obvious, but yet we'd missed it through the literature, through everything. Only when we started hearing mothers speak did it become so obvious that we were just missing this piece of of other people. It's a massive piece, um, and and it's quite it's actually quite complex because in some way mothers are expected to take care of the children, and the children are seen as their remit, and they are expected to make certain decisions for the children. But yet, in the household, the key decision maker is the father, right? Traditionally, in these in these countries that we went to, and the father can override the decisions of the mother. Immunization is a is a kind of be a bit of a shady space in that the the mother may take the lead and decide to immunize a child if it's unspoken, right? And it can be unspoken. But if there's a discussion about it and the father doesn't want to, then it's a no-go. Right. So I think the other thing that we need to think about is sometimes people think is, you know, what is when do people have that discussion about immunization? And they don't always do that. You know, it's the child's health and often that's in the mother's remit. But if they do and, and the father is in disagreement with it, then it, there's no way it can go ahead. And I think that, you know, things that we saw even like then in the quantitative, which was a lot of the qualitative work fed into the quantitative work. So even in terms of the attitudinal statements that we tested and so on, um, you know, 55% of the care of the mothers in Nigeria said that they believe that when a man makes a decision, no one in the family should question it. And that went up to 69% in Guinea. Um, so that helps, I think, set the context a bit for what the household dynamics are. Um, and I think one of the the, the statements and, and the quotes that came out quite a bit in the qualitative work that I think sums this up well is that, you know, the father is the head of the household, but the mother is actually the neck. Um, powerful and, you know, moves the head, but not in control. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. It goes back to... The original premise is that a lot of work and a lot of the interventions that focus on the mother alone are ignoring not even just the cultural context. I think every country in the world, you might expect joint decision making around the infants from both the mother of the child and the father of the child. So it doesn't really make too much sense to 
focus a lot of the research and a lot of the interventions purely on the mother, who is just the vessel for taking the child to the clinic. Of course, she has decision-making um, abilities as well, but with the father of the child, and often it's him who is going to have the final say. Marcos, what do you think on that point? Yeah, following on what Bell was saying and then supporting the story around the, um, the mother not making the decision by herself, um, we actually got from, from our sample in, in Nigeria that a third of uh, the caregivers ask for permission uh, or someone else decided regarding the vaccination of their of their child right and that this goes up to almost half of them if we talk about zero dose children for example uh, those who but didn't receive any vaccination at all right and um, if we look at another country like guinea for example we are talking about 59% of the caregivers stated stated and reporting that um someone else decided about uh, making this decision about vaccination, vaccinating their, their children, right? Um, but it goes beyond that point because uh, as Bell was saying, um, this is something that is a bit blurry. Uh, sometimes uh, there is no proper discussion about it and the mother could decide to do it, but there is always this worry about uh, being blamed. Uh, this was clearly stated at the qualitative research, and we collected the same from the uh, quantitative piece of research we did. Um, you might have the freedom to do it, but if something goes wrong, it's going to be your fault. So we can see again how the mother has this uh, um, burden. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like what strikes me from a lot of the ethnographic footage um, that I watched looking at this this as a challenge is the need to be able to maintain harmony and to not be seen to be the one who's brought uh, some ill fortune upon your family and particularly if you're the mother of that family as well because people will say well why was it you who did this following on from what bell was saying well the man should make the decision and take the responsibility for it in the cultural codes of some of the places in which we're working there's a lot of pressure to put on on mothers and another thing that really struck me, so obviously we went to three countries that are diverse within themselves and distinctly different to each other in Nigeria, Guinea, and in Uganda. But one commonality when we spent time with mothers in, in households is that mothers were just really busy. So you might be conducting an interview with them at the same time that they might be doing their side hustle, whether it be running a sewing business or something like that, bringing in some extra income for the house, whilst possibly cooking with one hand for the uh, for some of the children and preparing laundry with the other hand, they're doing five things at once. So it doesn't really make much sense to put a lot of um, added pressure on top of them to say, well, it's you who needs to go and convince everybody that this is the action that you need to take, when we could ease some of that burden from the mother by actually actively engaging with broader community members up front um, and to be able to support families in that way. Yeah. I agree. I think, it, you know, it's a universal mother problem. You know, I don't think, you know, mothers all over the world are are really busy. And so to, just to put something else on them actually and set and put the onus on them is um, not only, uh, you know, ineffective, you know, as, as years of trying to do it have proven, but also not really that fair. Um, considering actually that, you know, our, our, our findings also saw that they often need help persuading other people you know, 
um, and reaching out to other people and the decision makers in their lives. You know, if you want to, it, what we saw a lot in the qualitative work, if a mother wants to approach a, her husband about something, she might seek the help of someone else who's seen as having authority in the community. Um, and those people also play a powerful role, but I guess we'll, we'll talk about that in the later podcast as well. Of course you will. <laughs> well, thanks very much, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.